Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. If you have your Bible, go to Nehemiah. We're in our series called Believe It. And last week we went into part one out of Nehemiah chapter one. We talked about how Nehemiah received a burden from the Lord while in the palace of Persia as the king's cupbearer. He felt impressed by the Spirit of God and prayed for God to bless his endeavor and mission to go back 800 miles to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of the city that lay in ruin. And he asked God, bless this with some divine attention. Bless it with divine action and divine advocation. And the real takeaway was where Nehemiah prayed for God to grant him favor in the sight of the Persian king so that he could receive permission and authorization to leave his job as the king's cupbearer and go back to Jerusalem and start a project that would rebuild these walls. And we talked about asking for God's blessing on what we've been led and called to do. If you continue to read through Nehemiah 1 into chapter 2, we find out that God answered his prayer and the king granted him permission. The mercy and the favor of God was upon Nehemiah and he left and went back to Jerusalem with permission papers and protection. Soldiers to guard him as he begun this initiative. Go to chapter 2 and look with me at verse number 11. Notice what he says. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well into the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. Look at verse 16. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priest, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, fill me now. Give me unction. Give me wisdom. Let me walk 
talk and preach in your authority. May you hide me in the shadow of your power, and may they see Jesus only. May your word prick our hearts, strengthen, edify, and challenge us to gain your vision, your insight, and have your understanding. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's clap our hands together, church. Come on, give him praise in this house. <laughs> Nehemiah got his heart fixed in chapter 1 on a need and an opportunity in the land of Jerusalem. But it was not enough to have his heart set on it. Nehemiah left Persia, traveled some 800 miles to Jerusalem, and where his heart was, he wanted his eyes to be. He went all the way back to put eyes on what he saw in his mind. He leaves out and he goes to firsthand view the rubble and ruin of what was left in the wake of Jerusalem's destruction. I want you to see this with me this afternoon. Nehemiah was out to enhance his vision for what God had put in his heart. Nehemiah wanted there to be alignment with what he saw with his eyes and what he saw in his mind's eye. He wanted to look at it. He wanted to see it. He wanted to be standing right before it and look upon it for what it was. I wrote this down. Nehemiah needed to see it. He needed to visualize his vision. His objective was to go to Jerusalem, look upon the ruin and rubble of these walls, and see what it was supposed to be. Ah, oh, I have one, uh, one, one assignment today, and that is to help you see what it's supposed to be. I know a lot of us right now, we are looking at the present tense of a situation we are looking at the current status of where we are and what we are, but God brought me here to invoke and extract some things out of this congregation today, and that when you go home and you look in the mirror, you don't see what is, but you see what is supposed to be. When you pull into the parking lot next Sunday, I don't want you to see what is. I want you to see what is supposed to be. When you journey four miles up the road and you take a left on McCoy Bridge Road and you see where our sign sits and you stand at the base of 14 acres, I don't want you to see what is but I want you to see what it's supposed to be. When you're sitting at the dinner table this week and them little crumb grabbers are running around getting on your last nerve, I don't want you to see what is. I want you to see what it's supposed to be. When you look at your marriage that seemingly is hanging on by a thread and it's hard to find anything you got in common, I don't want you to see what is. I want you to see what it's supposed to be. When you consider what God has put on your heart, and in your head to do. When you consider the mission and the vision that God has given you for his kingdom, his body, and your future, I don't want you to see what is. I want you to see what it's supposed to be. You might not have two nickels to rub together right now. I don't want you to see what is. I want you to see what it's supposed to be. I wonder if there's any Nehemiahs in this house today that 
can look beyond the present, the temporary, and the right now, and you can say, God, I want to see what is supposed to be. Nehemiah went to Jerusalem, and he looked for what was supposed to be. We would do well as Christian leaders and church leadership to model our ministry after that of Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah examples spiritual leadership on two things. One, how to catch a vision. Two, how to cast a vision. Nehemiah caught a vision from God. And the rest of the book examples us how he cast that vision to others. And when Nehemiah went to Jerusalem, what was in his heart, what was in his head, he stood before in the night hour with nothing but a donkey to ride upon. And him and the Holy Ghost saw ruin and rubble and the remnants of what was. And Nehemiah could see it for what it was supposed to be. Last week I preached on let's ask it. Today I want to preach on let's see it. Let's see it for what it's supposed to be. Our families and our lives, our callings, our ministries, our marriages, our hopes, our dreams, our goals, our, our opportunities and God-sized assignments. Let's see it for what it's supposed to be. Can I teach for a second? I know I've already pulled out the evangelist, but can I teach for a second? Vision is imparted by God through various ways. Sometimes you catch the vision of a spiritual leader in your life. And by catching the vision of a spiritual leader in your life, you endeavor to help them fulfill theirs. And while you're helping them fulfill theirs, God takes it upon himself to reveal yours to you. Sometimes you jump, you don't see anything yet, and you don't know what God has for you. And sometimes before you see what God has for you, you see what he has for somebody else. And sometimes God wants to see if you can be trusted with somebody else. Oh, oh. Sometimes God wants to see if you can be trusted to help fulfill somebody else's vision before he can trust you with the one he has for you. And we catch the vision of a spiritual leader, someone that shepherds us or leads us or pastors us, someone that goes before us or that is beyond us. And we give our life to helping fulfill what it is they see. And in the process of helping them fulfill what they see, God begins to reveal to us what it is we are supposed to see. There's another way that we catch vision for our life. We see something tangible that inspires within us a visual. I'll say that again. We see something tangible that inspires within us a visual. You can go somewhere and you can see something that is tangible, that exists in its form. 
And as you see it, it inspires you to in your mind's eye and imagination to see you doing the same thing. Now, you're not looking to duplicate a cookie-cutter version of what you saw because there's factors about you that will make what you're going to do and what you're going to see different than what you saw. The objective, the goal, the aim may be the same, but there's complexities and details in your personality, your exposure, your education, and your gift set that'll make what you see different than what you saw. But God wanted you to see that because he wanted you to know it could be done. And knowing that it could be done, God put it in your head and your heart to do it for yourself. There's another way you catch vision, like Nehemiah. You hear it before you see it. There was voice, and then there was vision. And we must do what Nehemiah did and see what it is God sees. Look at verse 17 with me. Nehemiah says to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the Jews, Ye see the distress that we are in. You see how the enemies have no problem encroaching our boundaries. You see how our city looks like a war zone. And you see how everything is laying on the ground. And he says, Jerusalem lieth waste. What's this? And the gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem. Nehemiah endeavored to see the potential of what could be built together. Let's have a conversation. I want you to see with me the potential of what you and I could build together. I want you to see the potential of what you and God could build together. I wrote this down. Nehemiah was the kind of guy that can look at broken walls and see built walls. Nehemiah was the guy who could look past the ashes, destruction, and debris and see the potential in what lay around him. Why? Because God gave Nehemiah a potential perspective. Some people make a living with a potential perspective. You get the right landscape professional to come to your residence and let them have the blank canvas of your backyard and ask them what they could do to it. Yes, they will show up in about six days with a quote bigger than your mortgage, but you validated that man or woman to dream on your behalf. And they'll be able to tell you where the best set place for a retention wall is, they'll be able to tell you whether or not a fountain's going to look good, whether you should have koi in that little pond. They're going to be able to tell you what kind of flowers, what kind of trees, how much, whether it should be brown shrubbery or whether it should be green shrubbery or where you should have this kind of mulch or that kind of pine straw because they have a potential perspective. They can look at the blank canvas of your ugly backyard and dream on your behalf. You get an architect. And you tell them, we have this much square footage, and the ceiling's going to be yay high. And you give them nothing but the sketch of a blank floor plan. And they can cover every square 
inch of that potential property. They can tell you where every restroom needs to be. They can tell you where the broom closet is positioned. They can tell you where the stage is supposed to be. They can tell you how high the stage is supposed to be. They can tell you where the sound booth needs to sit. They can tell you how big the lobby is. They can tell you where the check-in entrance is. They can tell you where the play area is going to be. They can tell you how many parking spots you need for how many seats you have in your auditorium. You give an architect a canvas of potential and he will dream on your behalf. You take your living room and you hire an interior decorator. Buddy, give them 24 hours. They'll walk up in your house and vomit Chip and Joanna all over the place. Have that, have that room looking like something out of a magazine when they dream on your behalf. You take an old beat up, rusty piece of junk clunker. You take it down to the right kind of body shop. Old Terry will look at it for about an hour. And after he has worked through all the options and all the opportunities in his head, he will see a fully restored model of whatever piece of junk you put on his property. I remember when I was in high school, I was 15 years old. I had my learner's license and my daddy... My daddy had the pickup truck that he had driven all those years, a 1963 C10 Chevrolet pickup truck. It was red, white, and rust. And it was ugly. I didn't see any value in it, but apparently daddy had a potential perspective. Daddy saw something in that truck that I didn't see. And then daddy even imparted not just vision, but he also imparted a gift. He said, I'll tell you what, if you'll help me restore this truck, I'll let you have it. And you can drive it. And all I could see was me pulling in with red, white, and rust, trying to uphold my reputation at the high school, leaning on, a, leaning on the tailgate, trying to put out the vibe, hoping I don't get tetanus. Me and my daddy worked on that truck, and I didn't really, I didn't see what he saw, to be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't really see it. See, daddy had seen it before in his mind's eye, before I was even born. That is good stuff. Before I was even born, daddy had already seen it, so he knew what it could be. He saw the potential in it, and so he asked me, to do the project with him, and I'd sand wherever he told me to sand, and I'd buff wherever he told me to buff, and it was a heck of a long project, and we did it in the middle of the summertime, too. I fell asleep on top of that truck one time for three hours, woke up, looked like a red lobster, <laughs> had boils on my shoulders. Right before my 16th birthday, my daddy brought that thing back from a shop. Red, white, chrome trim, fire hawk tires, and we had the title. I talked him into putting an MTX 10-inch subwoofer in the floorboard. He's trying to, he was trying to be innovative. He said, let's put a cup holder on it. I said, you don't understand. You can't put a cup holder on it, Daddy. Everything's going to pop out. Whatever. you got to understand, I'm going to be bumping and thumping because I'm bad to the bone. 
I can't have a Dr. Pepper sitting here rattling around in this floorboard while we pull into the parking lot with Master P and make him say, uh. <laughs> Truck was solid metal. It was like a four-ton tank. So the entire thing would just vibrate and reverberate from the one sub. Had some six-by-nines on the doors and some tweeters and a big old subwoofer. I remember pulling into the school and everybody's like, oh my God, is that your truck? And I remember telling them, man, if you could have only seen it before. If you could have seen what it looked like before, what it sounded like before, I'd have been the laughing stock of 10th grade, but instead I got everybody flocking to see the 63 restored. Can I say something to you? You might see red, white, and rust. But you have a daddy that sees potential in what you possess. Y'all ain't hearing me. You have a father who sees potential. Potential is untapped possibility. <laughs> it's untapped, meaning nobody has reached into it and pulled it out yet, but it's there. I want you to say that with me. It's there. Say that with me. It's there. Say that with me. It's there. Can I tell you something? It's there. There is untapped possibility in your life. And you need to understand today in this service that it is there. I don't care how much rust has eaten up your past. And I don't care how many dents the devil has put in your life. God brought me over here today to tell you that your daddy sits on high and he looks down low and he sees potential. He sees the untapped possibility of who you are are in Christ. We need to understand and recognize like Nehemiah that there are people that see the potential in you and your mission. There are people that see the potential in us and our mission. You need to understand there are people that see it's there. Now this is not on the screen. Me and God wrote this down a little while ago before I came over here, so I decided I'd share it with you. One, you need to understand there, there are people that see your potential, and some of them are called a divine endorsement. They are the people specifically used by God to enable, empower, and fund what it is God put in your heart to do. Now I know right now I'm about to knock out about 80% of this congregation when I hit this point because we live in an area geographically and demographically where, where religion has taught us to aim for the middle and settle for the monster of mediocrity. But God put this church in this area so that we would confront that lying devil and we would reroute that kind of culture in this community and teach people. Jesus did not come for you to just have life, but he said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So we're not looking at settling on the wrong side of the line. When we have a God who said, I can do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or even think. In other words, there's stuff that ain't even crossed your mind that God has plans for. The divine endorsement is what Nehemiah had in the king. Someone who wanted to be a part of blessing the project that God had started. 
Here's something you need to understand about divine endorsements. They won't build it with you. But they're there to help you get it started. Who am I preaching to in this room? Who am I preaching to in this room? I'm preaching to myself. Do you know there are people that have funded this mission who have never been to one worship gathering? Do you know there's an individual out there that has given near between fifty dollars and $100,000 to this church over the last few years, and they've never been to one sermon, never seen one video, never heard one podcast? And they've given more money. I've been here from day one. They've given more money to this church than I have. They've given more money to this church in the last few years than possibly the top two or three donors have. But they've never been here. I've never even met them. That may be the only reason we even got anything from them. When, when, when you set out to, to do something, God makes sure there is a divine endorsement that sees the potential in you and what you're doing. In other words, they see it's there. And they don't want to bless it and be a part of it because of what you've done. When we started the church, we hadn't done anything. You know how asinine it is to get up in front of somebody when you ain't done nothing and say, help me do something? A divine endorsement doesn't want to bless what you're doing because you've done something. They want to bless what you're doing because they believe you can do it. They see that it's there and they want to tap in to that potential. You also need a team. You need a team of people that see the potential in what you're doing. Everybody, everybody look up here for a second. You're the team. At one year, we outgrew the movie theater. We went across the street to the shopping center. One year was Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, 334 people showed up to year one of the Easter service. The offering was around $900. 334 people. The offering was $900. Don't worry, I'm talking about money for a reason. It was all fluff. It was all crust. It was all fringe. We were fat. This church was fat. It was obese. It was overeating. It would waddle in, sit down, tie its bib, slam its hands down, Open wide its mouth and say, feed me, bald man of God. We were building a crowd, but we had not yet built a church. And in between a crowd and a church, you need a team. You don't believe me, follow what Jesus had. Jesus would, he'd pull out that fish and bread and show up with the crowd. But he picked 12. 
a minority, a few, and he built a team. And he spent three and a half years helping the team see what he saw, what the father saw. And he put what was in him into them. And then when he left, oh, my God, you know you do a good job when you work yourself out of a job. You know you're leading when you can leave and it still gets done. Somebody talk to me. Oh, yeah, I remember the first three or four years I could not take a vacation. Couldn't leave, couldn't have another person in the pulpit. Where's Pastor Derek? Where's Pastor Derek? Can't nobody do it like Pastor Derek. Where's Pastor Derek? Isn't it funny that God sent a doppelganger? <laughs> Let's fool him. <laughs> he can't tell the difference. And look the same, act the same, talk the same, preach the same. I was talking to a preacher friend of mine, and I was telling him about some of the struggles we were dealing with, and I was like, I feel like God's trying to build a team before we build a church. I thought I was building a church, but I was building a crowd. This, this place is fat. It's obese. And when you're fat, you don't make a good soldier. When you're fat, you die first. I'm talking about spiritually. Y'all chill out. <laughs> when you're fat, you can't finish a marathon. You can't run the race. When you're fat, you don't feed anybody else. You know why? Are we all right? I'm trying to pastor today. I'll have fun next week. Chill out. So, God, you got to get this thing in shape. Lord, help us get it in shape. They put our church through hell. We're, we're where I would not want to be. I never prayed for any of these things. But I did pray for these things. So God, we need a team. If we're going to build a church in this area and we're going to reach this community with Jesus so people can experience new life in Christ. If we're going to build a church and reach people with Jesus and get them off of drugs and get them off the street and get them to sober up and help them find new life in Christ and help their marriages get restored and help ministries get started and help people recognize their calling and young men walk in the authority of Jesus over their life and get free from pornography and young ladies discover that their temple is the Holy Ghost of God and they can dedicate themselves as a vessel worthy of his use, if people begin to see that God has a vested interest in them and he's going to use the body of new grace to make it happen, we got to build a team. What we had across the street was not the team. This is the team. I say that to lay it out for you like this. If you can stay with this church, despite all it's been through, it probably means you were divinely assigned to be a part of the team. So stop deceiving yourself every time I tell you that you matter. Stop lying to yourself every time the devil tells you that you have no value. If you've made it this far and you hung on to the boat and you're still on board, that means you are, you are a part of the team.
Somebody help me give him praise in this house. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. I'm a part of the team. You're still here? Really? Really? Going to buy the shopping center. No, we're not going to buy the shopping center. We're going to merge. No, we're not going to merge. We're going to buy this shopping center. No, we're not going to buy this shopping center. We're not going to have church because it's a pandemic. Yeah, we are going to have church despite the pandemic. We're going we're gonna to plant our roots right here and grow. No, we're not. We're getting evicted. We're going to go somewhere else. And you're still here. And I'm still here. I chalk that up as we're supposed to build something together. I chalk that up as we ain't done. We just getting started. We've been shedding some fat, baby. We ready for war. We ready to run. We ready to grow. We are in shape. We're, we're ready, baby. We are, we are with it. Ready to build something. You need people that see your untapped possibility. When we say we bought 14 acres, this team don't see trees. This team doesn't see the uphill, no pun intended, the uphill climb. This team sees it. It's there. Yeah, it's there. I applaud. Let me tell you something. Can I preach for a second? I hate the OGNG crap. I might just tick some of y'all off. That's okay. Here, let me, let me, let me make, make my point. Let me make my point. That whole bragging about being OGNG, you got to be careful because you're going to die with the rest of them people that are still laying in the wilderness somewhere. Because they were in love with a memory, a moment. They put a ring on the finger of a season and fell in love with it and wanted it to never change. That's like being 40 years old and trying to relive your teenage years. When I was a child, I spake like a child. I thought like a child. But Paul said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. I'm looking for a new thing. I'm looking for new wine. That Therefore, I am shedding the old skin and making room with new skin. There's a divine endorsement that will see the potential in you. And they may, the, they may just be there at the start. I started a church in Athens years and years ago. Before I ever even moved from North Augusta at Bible College to go to Athens and start this church, a man called me and he said, I heard about you. I know what God's put on your heart to do, and I want to help fund the start of your church. Never heard of one sermon, never met him face to face, but because God used him to divinely endorse what we were doing in Athens, Georgia, we were able to pay rent on that elementary school and later buy that piece of property where we had that church. Divine endorsements see that there's something there that God put in you. A team will see there's something there that God put in you. 
the enemy. Oh, God, help us right here. Work this. The enemy sees the potential that God's put in you. Let me go a little further. The enemy sees the potential God put in this church. The enemy smells and senses the untapped possibility of what lies ahead for us and for your life. I, I, I dare to say that Satan has a better read of spiritual things than we do. That Satan is probably more in harmony of what thus saith the Lord than you and I are. Many times we stand aloof to what it is God is trying to do and what God is setting it up. And all the while, the enemy works overtime to create deception and distraction and decoys and anything he can do to derail us from the purpose and the assignment that God has put upon our hearts to do. Could it be that some of us are pursuing a decoy that the devil put in your path to get you away from the thing God wanted to build with you? Satan can see the potential. Not it, listen, listen, listen. I'm, I'm just pastoring right now. Guys, guys, men, listen to me. Not every job opportunity is a God opportunity. I've seen this for years. Young man gets on fire for the Lord. He begins to serve God. He begins to involve himself with what God's put on his heart to do. And he begins to walk in the alignment of the ordered steps God has. And all of a sudden, a job opportunity presents itself. And, and, and listen, Satan does not come at us looking like something from Party City with horns and a pitchfork and a pointed tail or a neon sign that says Satan. Paul said Satan is so smooth and the devils of principality and warfare are so clever that they disguise themselves as angels of light. And the devil will give you a good thing so you miss a God thing. He'll give you a good, guys, listen to me. There is a young man living in Madison County right now who told me with a quiver and a shake in his voice and spirit and said, the Lord is calling me to preach, and I must do it. To this day, he has preached zero sermons because at the very climax of that call, a job opportunity presented itself. And it's smooth and it's very clever because he took this job and it started with missing a Sunday here and there. And then he wasn't making it to Thursday night services. And then going on the road to these revivals stopped happening. And making it to Sunday school stopped happening. Making it to Bible study stopped happening. And then he stopped giving and he stopped coming and he stopped attending and he stopped being. And he doesn't even go to church he has preached zero sermons, and here is the atrocity of the matter. He will stand in front of God and have to give an account of that declaration and belief. You called me to preach, and I didn't do it. The devil sees the potential in this church. He sees the potential in every young man and woman in this room. He sees the potential in every couple over the age of 50 
that can be the foundation and the pillars of what this church is meant to be built on. He sees it, and he wants to rip it out from under us. How many of y'all believe we have an enemy that we must be aware of? Paul and Peter said it right when they said, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Divine endorsements see your potential, and the team sees your potential. The enemy sees your potential. But I want to remind you in closing that it is God who also sees your potential. When God sees broken walls, he sees built walls. Paul said in Romans 4 that God calls the things that are not as though they were. (laughs) The things that are not. Do you have any things in your life that are not? Are y'all going to sleep on me? Oh, I I still got juice in the tank. Don't put me to the test, honey. We'll make 5.30 congregation stand out in the lobby and hear the overflow. I've got some things that are not, some things that are not yet done, some things that have not yet happened, some things that are not complete, not finished, some things that are not. But you know what? My God sees the potential in me in my future in my calling, in my family. God sees the things that are not concerning my daughters and my sons. God sees the things that are not concerning this congregation. God sees the things that are not. I wonder if there's anybody in this room that would help me rejoice. We have a God who looks beyond what we see with the eye, and he calls those things that are not as though they were. God saw it. When he looked at old lion deceiving, supplanting Jacob, he saw Israel instead of Jacob because he could not bless who Jacob pretended to be. He wanted to bless him, break his hip, change his name, and turn him into Israel. God saw it when he looked at Rahab the harlot, had the penthouse suite on the outside wall of Jericho, but God saw somebody that had purpose in hiding the spies and opening up the power and the plan of God upon that city. God saw it when he looked at that little 15-year-old, ruddy, red-headed shepherd boy named David. God saw it when he looked at Elisha farming in that plan, in that plot of land with those 12 yoke of oxen. God saw it when he looked at that little virgin girl named Mary. God saw it when he looked at that boy in John 6 that had a sack lunch with five loaves and two fish. God saw it when he looked at a cussing fisherman turned preacher. God saw it when he looked at a persecutor and murderer of the church named Paul and I want to tell you today that God sees it when he looks at you he doesn't see broken walls he doesn't see the cracks he doesn't see the crumble God looks beyond you and he sees that it is there come on JJ help me close stay with me back there jump all the way to the end with me Jessica do you see it When you look at new grace, do you see it when you look at your life? Do you see it when you look at your children? Do you see it when you look at the future? If you see it, let me give you this takeaway. Do what Nehemiah did. Study what you see. Study what you see. Be a student of what God reveals to you. 
Habakkuk 2 said, write the vision, make it plain. Sometimes you got to learn how to stare at it. you got to learn how to study it and see what is beyond the surface. Do you ever watch your kids when they're watching TV? Do you ever watch your spouse when she's scrolling on Instagram? Do you ever watch people in the congregation while the preaching is happening, while the worship is happening? There's a reason we go and we park our car in that dirty ditch on McCoy Bridge Road and we just walk around and study the land. Am I out there walking around trying to figure out where the building must be situated and where the parking lot will be and where the septic tank must lie? If Pastor Derek Anglin is doing such, we are all in a lot of trouble. I was out there when they marked off the corners of where the auditorium will be. And those flags still stand now as we work through the preliminaries. They're still out there. So now that those who are able have done that work, I walk around within the flags and I study what's not yet there. I've got a floor plan. You'll see it soon. So I know about where the floor plan is. I know about where the auditorium is. I know about where the stage is. And I can go and stand on the slight incline of that little hill and I can look down through there and I can see myself preaching. Even when there ain't nothing but trees, and pine straw, and pine cones, and gumballs, and leaves. And I can see what ain't there. Untapped possibilities. I can build that. I can get on board with that. I can give money to that. Even when it ain't there. Because I see what it could be. Am I enthralled with the idea of what color the walls will be? How loud can it be? How many seats? How many souls can we sit? No. I see the potential of what God's going to do in the lives and the souls of the people that are sitting in that room. Woo! You might be a typer, you might be a writer. Study what you see and write it down. I don't see anything. Are you single? Dost thou wish to be married? Study what you see. Not study what you see. Study what you see. Make a list. Make a list. 
specific young lady. Six three with shoulders like Arnold and a Denzel face. No, no, no. Not that kind of list. I mean, you can be that specific, but make a list. Write the vision. I know I'm being humorous, but we ought to take this kind of stuff serious. What matters to you matters to God. And when we, we need to start putting standards on what we see. God's put it upon your heart to start a business. Write the vision. Make it plain. Study what you see. If you see somebody else that's already doing what it is you want to endeavor to do, study what you see. If there is someone right now wearing the mantle that you wish to one day wear in your calling, study what you see. I would sit on the front row on Thursday nights and I would just be mesmerized with every little antic and every little move of Dr. Brown's preaching and personality. I'd watch him. I'd watch the way he'd tell a story. I'd watch the way he'd take it up and he'd bring it back down. One minute he'd have you laughing. The next minute he'd have you crying. I watched how he could catch the wind of the Holy Ghost and he could exhort and ride that thing all the way up into the glory cloud and everybody would be rejoicing and bring it back down and create an invitation that people wanted to come and pray and take action on what he just said. I watched him when he talked to people. I watched him when he went down to the restaurant and he talked to people that he didn't know. I watched the way he treated the waitress and the way he talked to people that didn't matter. I watched all that stuff. I studied what I saw in somebody else because God began to help me see it in myself and I wanted that we preached last night at the potter's house I preached on David and Bathsheba I preached on don't sleep in there was a young man he's 38 years old he came up to me after the service Michael he said I I just want whatever it is you got. And I, I poked him in his chest and I said, you already got it. And he just kind of looked at me funny. I said, you already got it. It's already there. I said, God just wants you to see it. And if seeing it in me helps you see it in you, it's already there. Say what you see. Don't just study it. Say it. Discern who is essential for your project, and say it. Tell them what you see. Nehemiah did. He didn't just go and view the walls, ride by a few times and study, but then he spoke it, and he said it. And he knew who he could say it to. Sure, he knew there would be critics, haters, and naysayers, but he still said it. Speak the vision. Share what you see. Tell your kids what you see. Tell your spouse what you see. Tell people what you see. Tell your co-workers what you see. Tell your friends what you see. If God's given you a vision for your life, if he's given you a vision for his kingdom and a vision on assignment, then you've got to start speaking it. Does anybody get what I'm saying? Me and Ashley lived in a little apartment on the east side of Athens at the point, 750 Gain School Road. Rough up over there. Crazy. It was a bad situation. And I always tell her, it's going to get better. I see it. It's going to get better. We're going to get out of this place. It's going to get better. 
We're going to have two functioning vehicles for it with us. It's going to get better. Our kids are going to grow up in a God-fearing home. It's going to get better. We're going to get our relationship back where it's supposed to be with God. It's going to get better. God's going to let us do something one day. It's going to get better. And I remember her saying, I'm tired of you saying it's going to get better because it don't look like it's getting better. I remember when this church was going through hell by the acre, and I'd say, stay with me. I'm going somewhere. And you must see something because you're still here. Study what you see. Speak what you see. Last one, stand for what you see. You're going to need some tenacity because there's critics out there. If there ain't ever nobody telling you you're doing it wrong, you probably ain't doing it right. And you better believe people are going to tell you you can't do it while you are in the middle of doing it. Stand for what you see. I wrote this down. God told me to tell you this. Don't ever settle for a blurred version of God's vision. Don't ever settle for a blurred version of God's vision. Let's see it. Concerning this church, let's see it. Concerning your life, let's see it. <laughs> oh, God, I just want to shake some of you right now. Like in a loving way, like, don't you see it? You got it. You have it. It's on you. It's in you. It's for you. He'll do it through you and with you. You're not just some meaningless flesh and blood box that has no purpose. There is a divine assigner and a divine assignment, and you are the divine assignee. See it. See what God's going to do. Whether you like it or not, New Grace, you're the team. We have a church to build and a community to reach and a God to glorify. Let's give him praise in this house. Come on. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.